Good morning, church. No, I am not Pastor Chris, but I do think I look better in this t-shirt than he did last week. <laughs> the white lettering matches my hair better. Okay, just, all right, so just, so you see our t-shirts, loving, living, and leading for God's glory. That's our mission statement. That's what we are trying at CNBC to become more community-minded, to love others. Now, if you look in our church foyer up above the glass doors, you'll see our vision statement for CNBC, growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. And again, that's our vision statement. It's what we strive for and hope to grow in. So our mission statement is what we hope to accomplish, to love and to live and to lead for God's glory. And our vision statement is what we hope to be or become to grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. So have you noticed that there's a lot of love in our mission and vision statement? It's not by accident. The world needs love, don't you agree? We need it, and God's word commands it. And although the vision statement is not found word for word in the Bible, this biblical principle can be found in a number of places. And one such place is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. Loving God, loving neighbors, the great commandments. Loving God, loving others. It's a good vision. But it's hard. So today, I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and what it can teach us about loving God and about loving each other. So if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. And kind. Envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this church was worried about a lot of things. And they were arguing 
about a lot of things, and they were uncertain about a lot of things. And Paul writes to them and says, this is what you need to be focused on, love. Now, when we're speaking about love in this context, we're looking at the Greek word agape. This word is used in the New Testament of the deep and abiding affection of God and Christ for each other and for us. It's also used of Christians and their relationships with one another. The Apostle Paul starts this passage with what happens or does not happen if we do not have love. We become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you knew I was going to go here. Did you like that? Can you hear? I can't hear a thing anymore. I'm just telling you. <laughs> there are people in the world today and in the church today, Big C Church, the church that is worldwide, that try to accomplish things without love. Maybe they try to use their talents or their skills. Or like in this passage, even their spiritual gifts. Maybe they try to use their own status or authority. Maybe they just plain bully people to get things done. But whatever they do, it fails. It fails. It might work for a season, but not for the long haul. They are just a noisy gong. I'm going to keep doing this. We're nothing. They're nothing. And all that's left is a path of tears and pain. So how would you feel if I keep hitting this for a few more minutes until we get the point? Do you get the point? All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. It is irritating, isn't it? But that's what a church without love is. It's irritating and worse. If we, as, if we as believers at CNBC do not love one another, then nothing we try to accomplish will succeed. No matter how good the end goal is, it must be done with love. Or we are just making a lot of noise and not accomplishing anything. And that's a sobering thought. Whatever it is we do, whether it's a WANA or a youth ministry, Sunday school, prayer, fellowship, worship... And that list could go on. If we have not love, then it's nothing. It's hard to escape the implication found at the beginning of this passage as to what it means to be spiritual. Some Corinthians thought it meant having or using spiritual gifts. That made you spiritual. Or if they had wisdom or knowledge. But that is not what Paul believes makes us spiritual. It's our character that makes us spiritual. To always be walking in love. And without love, nothing else matters. Our lives, our efforts, our knowledge, it means nothing. But with love, you see, love changes everything. If you want to do the video. If there wasn't love, 
Can you picture what life would become? Without love, there'd be no compassion, no comfort, no peace. Without love, there'd be no caring, no giving, no kindness. Without love, we would be consumed by selfishness and filled with arrogance. Without love, grace would have never been offered. Mercy would have been unimaginable. When you add love to the equation, everything changes. Love is patient, love is kind, not envious or prideful. Love puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger. Love protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Love changes everything. Love changes everything. So let's dive into the rest of this passage. Love is patient and kind. Here we have an active and a passive response toward others. The first, patience, is the idea of long-suffering. We are slow to be resentful and angry. It's passive. We don't do something. Colossians 1.10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Long-suffering, endurance, patience, those are not our favorite words. And we can't do it ourselves. The passage says we need to be strengthened by God with his glorious might. We've heard that patience is a virtue. Or that person has the patience of Job. To be patient is to endure discomfort without complaint. Patience is actually a compilation of other virtues. Self-control, humility, generosity. An example from the life of Christ illustrates this. Jesus was very patient with his disciples. They were sometimes thick-headed, sometimes lazy, sometimes selfish, sometimes slow to believe. Even from a merely human standpoint, we can see how frustrating those disciples must have been. But Jesus had patience with them. He used self-control. He had humility. And he was more than generous with them. And Jesus wants us to be like him and how he treated his disciples. So maybe not everyone here at CNBC is as bright, talented, or gifted as you. Maybe a lot of us are like Jesus' disciples. If so, then be like Jesus and use self-control, especially with your tongue. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself, just like Jesus. And be generous, especially with our next word, kindness. 
Love is kind. This is an active word. It's the idea of active goodness. We are doing good to someone. Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, I hate to admit it, but I'm over 60, okay? And unfortunately, over the years, I have seen a decrease in patience and kindness in the world. Have you seen that? Yeah. And unfortunately, this is to be expected as the end draws near. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answers the disciples' question regarding signs at the end of the age. And Jesus, toward the end of his answer, says this, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When our love grows cold, then we're going to lose patience, and we're going to become unkind. We want what we want, we fight for it, we complain, we get irritated, we get mean. The prophets warned Israel and Judah about the need for kindness. Now, a few months back, I preached about what is required of us from the prophet Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Kindness is very important to God. And is much needed in the church. We should be the leaders in patience and kindness. Now, I have seen some of the social media posts and some of the emails and texts and conversations from, from people. And unfortunately, some of those words probably should not have been said or written or sent. Something that we have on a refrigerator door at home as a reminder to our family might be of help to us today. It's an acronym, and it spells out the word THINK. T, is it the truth? Not our opinion, but is it the truth? H, is it honorable? Does it bring honor to you and to the recipient? I, is it inspiring? Will it encourage others? N, is it necessary? Sometimes we just need to bite our tongue. K, is it kind? Will it bring good to others? Think. We could all do better at loving one another if we would think before we send off that email, post that social media response, or say something to that person. In preparing for this sermon, I read several online articles about kindness. And in the comments section of one of the articles, and this was a secular article, 
A person wrote this. After Sandy Hook, there was a movement to honor the dead by doing 27 random acts of kindness. And if you remember, there were 27 victims, so they wanted to do one kindness for each victim. And this commenter said, And I started doing little things, like letting people in front of me in line at the grocery checkout. I had underestimated the good it would do me. In a world of hate, it feels like a tiny act of defiance against all the negativity to do something simple to brighten someone's day or ease their burden. After doing the 27, I kept on doing it and planned to continue doing it. It may not be much, but even a small light burns brightly in an otherwise dark and cruel world. Showing kindness to others does a kindness to yourself. This person had underestimated the good being kind would do to them. And that kindness to others does a kindness to yourself. Kindness does help others. But kindness also helps us. Love is patient. We need to learn to put up with annoyances, to endure, to trust. Love is kind. And we need to be actively good toward others. Love does not envy. Envy in this context is the idea of strife, rivalry, division, competition between one another. We should not be fighting for positions or influence or try to attract followers or get people on our side. James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain. You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Don't we see this in the world? And unfortunately, don't we sometimes see this in the church? It's hard to be kind when we covet, when we get angry because we can't get our own way. Proverbs says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Do we have a tranquil heart? Or are we allowing envy to rot our bones? A tranquil and peaceful heart. A heart that is strong and quiet. It means our inner life is like that clear mirror-like state found on a lake in the early morning. Have you ever seen that? Just like a sheet of glass. It's peaceful. It's calm. The heart is not disturbed by things that happen around it. The heart can deal with problems including envy. Because it has an ultimate sense of peace. This heart knows that God is sovereign over all things. That God is in control. That everything is in God's hands. This heart trusts God. One way to help us overcome envy is to be a servant, to serve others. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. 
This is a very, very rare word in the New Testament. But the idea is to boast, to brag. It's self-centered. It means the spotlight's on us instead of on others. But it's really not about me, is it? And it's really not about any of us. It's about Jesus Christ. Sometimes we boast when we think we can do something better than someone else. Sometimes we boast in how we give suggestions on how things should be done. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Again, the remedy for boasting is to become a servant, to be humble, to be meek, to put others first. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. The word translated here as arrogant means literally to be puffed up, to be proud. The word is exclusively used in the letter to the Corinthians to describe the Corinthians. Because <laughs> they were puffed up. Unfortunately, this was especially used by Paul when the Corinthians were trying to stand in opposition to Paul. In the context of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul was telling the Corinthians to stop resisting his leadership, to stop resisting the leadership of his fellow servants, to stop assuming that they were right and that Paul and his servants were wrong. He wants the Corinthians to stop insisting on their own way and to allow him, Paul, and his helpers, to lead. What Paul was suggesting here in the name of love is something that us as Americans have a really hard time with. We love to be armchair quarterbacks, to second guess coaches, politicians, really anyone. People in the world think they have all the answers, that their way is right. In fact, they insist on it and they push to get their own way. So they don't let leaders lead. We are not to be like that. So as Paul says, we are to stop being arrogant because that is not the way of love. Proverbs gives us a warning and a remedy. It says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Those are strong words. And yet arrogance has no place in our lives. One of the requirements, in fact, to be a leader, an elder in the church, is to not be arrogant. Titus 1.7, for an overseer, an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. The cure for arrogance is to love one another and to fear the Lord. 
Once again, it's a call for us to be humble, to be a servant. Love is also not rude. The word translated rude in the, in the Greek has the idea of behaving shamefully or disgracefully. The idea is to not behave unseemly. And the Apostle Paul's recalling the activities of some of the women of the church in Corinth who are bringing shame on their heads by the way they're acting. It's also recalling the actions of some at the Lord's table who are humiliating and shaming others who have nothing. Again, having read several articles in the course of preparing this sermon, it seems to be a general consensus that rudeness in our society is on the rise. And several factors were given for this. One, low self-esteem. How you treat others is just a reflection of how you view yourself. So a rude person is usually an insecure person. Personal issues. People who are dealing with issues that make them angry, sad, stressed, or scared often act in rude ways. Emotional immaturity. Some people are just not mature enough to understand the consequences of their words or actions or are too immature to care. Learned behavior. A person's rudeness, whether in the home, work, or in general, has worked to get them what they want. So they have learned to be rude. Christian love, however, cares too much for the rest of the community to behave in rude ways. And so we need to take a look at ourselves and see if there is any rudeness in us and then see what the root of that rudeness and sin is. And then we need to allow Jesus to heal us. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. The idea here is that we do not seek our own good, but the good of others. Now, this is the fifth consecutive item in this list that specifically echoes an earlier part of the letter. Paul has addressed each of these items, each of these words, in the first part of Corinthians. Love does not insist on its own way was dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Where Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And also again, Paul says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The Corinthians have been insisting on trying to get their own way. In some ways, not insisting on our own way is the fullest expression of what Christian love is all about. It does not seek its own. Love is not enamored with self-gain, self-justification, self-worth. To the contrary, it seeks the good of others. So love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Another word that could be used here for irritable is angry. In this context, it's passive, meaning that we are not easily provoked to anger by those around us. 
this is further, a further expression of love is patient. Nehemiah reminds us of who God is. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we are to be like him, slow to get angry, quick to be gracious and merciful. Maybe the sermon's going to go long today. Don't be resentful. Maybe the music wasn't your favorite this morning. Don't be irritable. Maybe the auditorium is too hot or too cold. Just chill. That was intentional, okay? Don't get angry. Proverbs has much to say about how bad anger is. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is glory to overlook an offense. And Ecclesiastes, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And in 1 Timothy we read, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now think about what he just said there. He wants us to pray and lift our hands up without anger or quarreling. Which means there were times when people were praying, they were angry. How many times have people in the church prayed or worshipped God and yet while they were sitting or standing in the pew, they're angry or irritated about something? That should not be. This place, this church should be a place that is far away from anger and quarreling. This place should be a place of peace, of shalom. Not resentful. Love does not keep a score of wrongs. In the context here, it goes even further. It does not count attitudes or actions of others as evil. Haven't we all experienced at one time or another someone attributed our action, even our thoughts, as being wrong and evil? They were resentful, and whether or not it's true, they counted something we did as wrong, even if it wasn't? Love does not assume evil intent. It does not keep score of wrongs. Love gives grace and mercy. It thinks the best of others. And when necessary, it forgives. Not just seven times, but 77 times. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And this passage hints at Zechariah chapter 8. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The idea here, again, is not keeping a record of wrongs, not being resentful. Again, I think we all know someone in our life who can remember every wrong done against them. They are like an encyclopedia of hurts. And hopefully we're not that person. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And Psalms reminds us, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We are not to keep a record of wrongs. We're to be like our Savior who forgets, who remembers no more, who forgives. We also need to stop rejoicing at wrongdoing. If something is wrong, it doesn't matter even if it's our team. If the actions are wrong, it's still wrong. And we still need to continue to love one another because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it does rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. To put this simply, love puts up with everything. There is nothing that love cannot face. Love is tenacious, enables us to live in every and any circumstance, and it continually pours itself out on behalf of others. The reason love can endure all things is because it believes, because it hopes. Love has a faith, if you will. Love trusts that God will do what he says he will do. And because of this belief and hope, it can bear up and endure under any circumstance. It's been said that 1 Corinthians 13 seems best to capture the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So much so that you could put his name in for love. Remember, God is love. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the tr truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. Jesus does exemplify and embody love all the way to the cross. And we're to be like him. That's why we're called Christians, little Christ. So the question for each of us is, can we put our name in for the word love? I am patient and kind. I do not envy or boast. I am not arrogant or rude. I do not insist on my own way. I am not irritable or resentful. I do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but I rejoice with the truth. I bear all things. I believe all things. I hope all things. I endure all things. Can we do that? You see, love is a big deal to God. Bigger than any gifts or abilities that we might have. It's more important than our position or status or wealth. 
1 John has a very sobering statement regarding our love for one another and how important and foundational it is to our faith. 1 John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. If we do not love one another, then we're not a child of God. It does not get much more black and white than that. John continues in his book, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Skipping down, he goes, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We need to love one another. And if we do not love our brother, then we hate him. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Are we getting the picture that love is a various, very serious thing to God? Little children as John refers to us. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, because love is not optional for the believers. Growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. That is God's heart for his children. And that is our vision for all of us here at CNBC. To love one another. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. If the team would come up. Loving, living, leading for God's glory. Growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. That is our heart here at CNBC. That 
is God's heart for us at CNBC.